Frank, I just found out that you are a security expert in the past. Is that a thing that happened? What happened here? Uh, no, I believe my words were professional security person, as in someone was paying me to do security. I never said I was an expert, and I will never claim to be. I tried to read a cryptography book once, and I got I got through chapter one and two, um, but then I gave it up and swore I'd never read it again. My first job at Canon out of college, our database expert, Sean, he said, if you want to know everything about security and encryption, read this book, just just like you probably did. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. made it through chapter one. And then I said, Psh, public, private tokens, handshake. I know everything there needs to be. So I'm a security, I'm a security professional also, because I also read that first chapter, Frank. I bet it was the same book. It probably was, and I'm just blanking on the name. It's a very well-known book, yeah. Um, I've also implemented my own security. I've rolled my own cryptography, which is something you're also not supposed to do. But at my really real job, it wasn't even like security as in we think of it as in hiding information. It was more... Uh, attacking APIs and trying to break computers. So it's funny how security transcends like many topics. Uh, It can be privacy, or it can just be making a machine explode or turn off or something like that. Yeah, I obviously the most I've ever done is just public and private keys. And I've interfaced with some things, you know, I've done some logins in my day, I avoid all logins Mm -hmm. in my mobile applications. And we've talked, we've done past episodes on you know, fake security and fake login systems. My um, userless um, uh, Animal Crossing application comes I to mind. I still like it. I still like it. Somehow we created a user system without users. I still think we should be proud of that. I'm very proud of what we accomplished. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful thing, right? You you open the app and you're immediately you're there. You already have an account. Everything's taken care of you automatically. We're, we're great security professionals, Frank, but <laughs> let's be honest, we're obviously not security experts. And there's some amazing things that are happening in the world of security from a bunch of different companies. And we, you know, we're like, hey, we should try to get a security sort of expert that's working on products in the real world to come talk to the Merge Conflict listeners. So I'm super excited to have one a, a guest, which we don't have guests on the podcast often, which means it's special case here. This is like this is like never happens. But I'm really excited because Tanvir Ahmed, who is a group product manager at Okta, is joining us. And what's cool is that he is this uh, working on building products, platforms, and SDKs for both enterprise and consumer focused on identity and access management. That's as I am. I literally took that from his LinkedIn page. And I don't actually know what any of that means. So Tanvir, what 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 do you do? Hi, guys. First off, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Actually, at Okta, what I focus on is building out what's called our devices platform. And it's a new service which allows uh, both developers and uh, end users and like enterprise settings to kind of have an identity for their device uh, and and have a way to kind of represent the device when you're trying to authenticate and make sure we have great experiences around that. So more specifically, it's around like building great authentication experiences and making sure that things like which tokens to use and which cryptography, what type of cryptography to use is sort of abstracted away. So should you use Frank's cryptography? Is that what I'm hearing here? <laughs> That's a good best practice. You know, 
it's really interesting <laughs> because you said um, device identity. And I've always thought about this for like the security of my apps. I'm like, can I make it so that only certain devices can talk to my API? We usually can't. So we do something like user security instead of device security. And I forgot who told me, but he's someone at some point in my career said device security is impossible. And so don't even try. So it's really funny that you bring it up. So is device security possible? Can you actually identify devices and control all that stuff? I'm so out of my league here that I'm just fascinated. Yes, you can. So what the team is building out here uh, is a way to be able to kind of uniquely identify devices and establish a sort of trust in an enrollment process. So in the onboarding process for devices you want to mark as trusted or belonging to you, there is an onboarding process that requires you to kind of prove your identity and the possession of your device. And with that, we're able to bootstrap like a credential of sorts onto a device so that we are able to, to you know, trust it. But as you mentioned, that, that problem is very hard to do. And so in many cases, it does require certain, you know, specialized pieces of hardware like a TPM uh, or some other secure chip on the device uh, in order to make that happen. James, I think we need a bell for TPM. It's coming up a lot these days. We just did an entire episode on the TPM. Very excited about the TPM that I just installed on my computer. So it sounds like my device is super secure and ready to go. I guess, you know, Tim, like when I think about device, well, not there's just security in general. I think about authentication, right? Uh, inside my applications that I'm using every day, I download it from the internet. I log in with the username and password and I maybe sometimes get a two-factor authentication. Like, why is that not just good enough? Like, why do consumers or even in the workplace need to be concerned about device identity? Like, wh why why is there this extra layer onto, on top of it and why is it important? So it's important to know which devices are being used to kind of access resources, both in a corporate setting and in a consumer setting. Oftentimes devices, if they're left unmanaged by like an MDM or group policy, or if they're jailbroken or have malware on them, if you give those devices access to your network layer, that could be very problematic. You never know who's kind of looking uh, behind the scenes. Even though an authenticated user uh, is kind of using that device and is able to kind of say, yes, I am who I say I am and get access, that might not be what you want, right? So it's important to not only understand the user uh, who is claiming they are who they say they are, but also understand where they're coming from. Uh, not necessarily location or IP, but like the device they're using. Is it trusted? Is it managed? Have you seen this device before? Uh, is it not jailbroken? Things along those lines. Got it. Yeah. So it sounds like the when we think about identity in this device space, it's really that the device is secured and has the ability to say, hey, listen, company or service that I'm using, I've already pre-authorized my, my device so you know my device is, is valid and good going forward. Is that, is that kind of a, a safe assumption there? Yeah, that's a pretty safe assumption. Sorry, is this a pretty, I'm sorry, I'm so out of touch with the real world. Is this a pretty common practice in most enterprises now? Is there 90% of the world does this uh, level of security? Or is this something that's growing right now? If you look at the kind of roots of this problem statement, 
it kind of goes back a couple of decades to like domain join days where in enterprise settings, admins would want to domain join a device and kind of put their hands on it and put all this group policy or management or whatever on that machine and like really mark that device as like, yeah, I'm fully trusting this device. It's, you know, something I package with my own hands and therefore it can now access secure corporate resources. And that's kind of been this paradigm, um, you know, for, for quite some time. And when you think about on-prem deployments, that's largely what that is. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is a move away from this like kind of on-prem centralized sort of uh, deployment model. And what we've seen instead is like, okay, well, anyone should be able to pick up any device. It should be a laptop. Uh, it could be something you go to like a retail store, pick up a device or your own personal phone you should be able to attest that this phone is mine, uh, that I am in possession of this device, and then it's a clean device. By clean, I mean it's secure, it's not you know, kind of compromised in any way. And then you should be able to use that device. So this sort of uh, paradigm shift is what's causing more and more, I guess, products and services to come up in this space where we start solving the problem of, okay, now that the devices aren't being routed necessarily through a centralized authority who's kind of you know, physically joining the device to an on-prem server that they trust with their management and their endpoint security, how do we establish trust with these devices and give them access to what we're um, you know, trying to protect in our orgs or our consumer services? It, so- it sounds a lot like this is workplace only, but at the very end, you said also in the consumer space too. So... For some of our listeners, it may be thinking like, wow, this is just enterprise, enterprise, enterprise. I'm shipping apps to the app store or, you know, doing, you know, different types of deployments. Like how does this, this device uh, security aspect that you're talking about apply to the consumer space or does it? So we, we think it does. And we're seeing more and more interest from some of our consumer uh, facing customers, uh, specifically in like finance and healthcare and some other instances where even though it's a consumer facing app, you're trying to access equally sensitive information. So imagine you're trying to access health records. You may not necessarily want to provide them to a device that may be compromised. Same with, you know, think about like stock, uh, you know, from your stock brokerage, think about statements coming in or bank statements. You, you don't, you don't necessarily want those going to kind of compromised endpoints. Um, so it's coming up more and more in the consumer space as well. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. I like I go through ups and downs of installing all my finance applications and then uninstalling all mine because I'm like, what if someone gets my phone? What if I get this? Like, all you need is my fingerprint. And then, you know, you're uh, down the chain. You are logged in to all of my services. And if I have a, you know, a password app that will pop up and again, it you know, takes one second to get in and then it fills in the passwords. And if there's an SMS, it just sends it to your phone. Like I've always found that that to be a weird system. I understand the SMS process when I'm on a computer, like when I'm on my phone, I think it's really weird that I get an SMS to authenticate where I'm logging in on my device. Like that to me seems broken. No. Yeah. We, we sort of feel that way too, especially on my team. Uh, So my, my team really is focused around, uh, in addition to device identity, like proving the the tr- proving and establishing the trust of a device, it's also focused around um, this this new type of factor we're calling uh, Octa FastPass. And what Octa FastPass tries to do is it installs a credential 
um, on the TPM or the secure enclave of the device, right? Um, and so now on your mobile device, if you're trying to sign into an application, instead of sending an SMS, which, you know, if you go to like a Black Hat conference or anything along those lines, like SMS can be, um, you know, compromised in itself. Uh, with Okta FastPass, it's actually just having the application uh, securely talk to our backend service, as well as the secure chip on your device um, with a secure handshake. And it kind of takes care of that key exchange for you. I, I, I'm very interested in uh, the onboarding process, because I guess that's kind of where a lot of magic has to happen, where a token is generated, it's registered with a server, it's stored on the phone in a secure enclave. What are the kind of steps that are shared to for this onboarding? I'm just really interested in how that goes. Well, in our case, what we have is uh, we let admins kind of define that experience. So an admin can kind of create any sort of enrollment policy they'd like to have. So in this sample enrollment policy, they can choose to say that the device has to be within a certain network or a certain geographical location. Um, and also the user must prove their identity using you know, certain factors, right? So it could be a combination of a password, or it could be that the admin themselves have to go and approve it. Um, but the idea is that once we have verified that, uh, you know, the user is who they say they are and they are in possession of the device, um, we actually use um, some, I mean, I guess some of our own crypto, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> from engineers who have read probably the same book um, and come up with, you know, our own sorts of algorithms. Like we then put a token on the device that we can then use to kind of sign further payloads um, and prove the identity of that device. And I would assume that that would be a per app kind of token because you're controlling one app at this kind of level for in, in the mobile space. So we should be able to kind of identify the device uh, at an organization level. Um, so let's say you are trying to say that, hey, my employer, um, this is my personal device and I'd like to use it for my work things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that registration that you create uh, between your device and your organization um, through whichever app is actually valid for all other apps you're trying to use to access resources in that organization, if that makes sense. So so to put it concretely, if you register your device through, let's say, an office app on your phone, um, as you're trying to sign in through Slack in your organization, we would be able to recognize the device as well. That's some fanciness. I like that. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to start up a new uh, iPhone from scratch, and I had to enter my password eight thousand times. And I kept wondering what in the Apple security model prevents them from generating one token and having all their apps reference that. Uh, I'm sure it's more complicated. Again, not a security expert. <laughs> Yeah, I guess why don't, why hasn't this sort of been a a practice, especially in the consumer space, but in some of the enterprise uh, space as well? Like why haven't, why hasn't this, you know, been the the de facto? I think when I look at some of the statistics, we look at some of the most recent hacks, right, that are out there, these hacks are just being done by simple passwords or old uh, user accounts that weren't deleted and they're being, you know, hacked 
by, you know, in foreign countries or whatever, like why is it, does it just really costly? Like why hasn't, is it hard to do? Like, you know, if, if Frank and I are independent developers or we go and work at a company, like, is this hard to do? Is it easy to do? Like, why isn't it just the standard? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think a lot of it boils down to the technology available at the time. Hmm. Um, so right now, uh, we're starting to see a lot of uh, kind of development on this front from like Apple and Google, you know, as the major OS, like mobile OS developer, or, yeah, publishers, I guess. Um, you see Apple kind of coming out with new technology somewhat recently, like uh, they have this piece of tech called the SSO extension, right? Um, this SSO extension kind of allows one app to kind of talk to another app uh, to be able to kind of share uh, secrets and kind of share an authentication flow, if you will, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing great. a lot. Um, but this type of technology hasn't really existed beyond like maybe a couple of versions of iOS ago. Hmm. Um, and outside of this, if you think about it, um, Apple in particular, they go to great lengths to make sure that apps are kind of sandboxed, right? Um, they, they can't really break out of their own sandbox. Um, so when you when you think about it, it's like how do you create this like seamless authentication experience, especially on mobile devices, that kind of span across applications when they're sandboxed? If you don't get that OS level support, um, so part of it is based off of you know what what capabilities are we given from the operating system, and then part of it's also just that like the the authentication landscape itself is kind of adapting to this new sort of mobile first, um, you know, non on-prem sort of world. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I would hate to have to join a network from France just to check my email or something when I'm on vacation or something like that. It's pretty interesting in that, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I want to go back to just one part where uh, you are proving, you said you're proving that the device is clean, so we trust it on the network, it's running up-to-date software, or you can geolocate it, that kind of stuff. But you said there are still user credentials involved. And are these kind of a unified system, or is this like a user system talking to a de uh, device token system? Are they usually integrated, or are they usually separate things that you work on? So they're, they're slightly separate. Um, so the first piece in our kind of onboarding flow is the user has to kind of provide one, their identifier. So, you know, typically that's like an email address, like potentially a phone number. Um, and they have to provide several factors that kind of prove their identity. So this could be like an authentication token given to them by a system admin, um, possibly a password combined with other factors like a YubiKey uh, of sorts. Um, so that, that kind of proves like the first bit, which is, you know, the user is who they say they are. The second bit is more around having the device kind of attest that it's not compromised in any particular way. So that can mean, you know, in enterprise scenarios, this can mean, uh, you know, hey, prove that you are actually managed, right? Um, and that could be like, provide me with some proof that you are kind of managed by some sort of MDM or group policy entity and kind of provide proof of that. Or mm -hmm. it could be like, hey, can you attest that you're not jailbroken? Like solve this challenge or here, pass our verification to prove that you are not rooted or jailbroken in any way. 
or, hey, prove to us that you actually have the most up-to-date antivirus definitions or that you have a pin on the device. Um, and so that's sort of that verifying your device is not compromised. And only when you have both of those components will we then do our handshake in our crypto to go ahead and install or not install, but like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, provide you a key that you can use uh, for further verification down the road. And thanks for letting me know about that SSO extension. I did not know that that was added to iOS. That's uh, very good of them, especially because way back in the day, we used to have device IDs and they used to be stable. That could have been a little something to add to that database, but those are gone. So at least they gave us uh, extensions, I guess. Yeah, that's really cool because I actually have a blog post. One of the most common things that I get all the time is like, I want from, from tons of developers email me all the time and they're like, I want to tie my user to a device, give me a unique device ID. Like, and I have a whole blog post that's like, <laughs> no, you don't, you can't do it. Like, the, like both Google and Apple have done ever because that, that unique, you know, device ID is for the actual hardware that you're on is very sensitive if every single app has access to it. But it sounds like this is like one layer up, right? Which is, hey, the actual device you know, itself, like the, 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 the serial number is not necessarily important. It's that initial first handshake, which is like, hey, we're coming in, we're doing this original sort of handshaking, authentication, making sure the device is secure and assigning it an ID. Is, is that correct? You're basically assigning every device this unique identifier once it passes that. And then for the apps that are in the family of apps, if you're an enterprise, you might have hundreds of apps, right? I think of when I take an Alaska Air flight and there's literally, you know, they're they're doing the checkout, they're doing the seat assignments, they're doing everything on an iPhone. Like you don't want to have to have them auth into all 50 apps. You want them to, to work seamlessly. So once that device is secure and unlocked, and I have no idea what Alaska Airlines uses, by the way, I'm just using them as an example because... I'm an MVP gold, but, um, at least I was for the last <laughs> two years, they brought it forward. I don't know about next year uh, with the zero travel I've done, but really, really you're coming in and saying, Hey, you are assigning it this unique identifier that then can be scaffolded out and used. And, and there could be multiple unique device identifiers then at that point, if there's different companies, you know, that are out there. Cause I'm assuming that, you know, Octa, the company you work for is not the only one that's trying to do this. Um, but the general idea is passing all that security, all that stuff to then give it this unique identifier that will live with it and continue to check up on it, I, I, I suppose, correct? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good way to put it. Um, so a long time ago, as you've pointed out, Google and Apple like both have uh, stopped providing kind of globally unique device identifiers. So no longer can you grab um, and, and actually pass and submit to the App Store an app that fetches the UDID, for example, in on, on unmanaged iOS devices. And so you run into this problem, um, you know, if you're trying to solve this use case of, well, how do I then identify these devices? Um, and that, that kind of boils into then the, the release of this like SSO extension. You can start doing things where you say, okay, well, here's this kind of central app um, that you can use to kind of create this user app device binding. Um, I guess you can also throw org in there. Uh, so now you know that on this device, this user um, has authenticated through this application and has 
kind of successfully proven that you know they're this user on this device on this app for this resource and now other apps on this device if they're trying to access if you're the same user on the same device different app um you can have these apps kind of talk to each other now and reuse the same identifier that Okta provided uh, instead of relying on the actual device ID, uh, you know, the unique device ID that Apple or Google assigned to that device. Um, and so it's, it's, it's our way of kind of being able to uniquely identify these devices without necessarily relying on any kind of identifiers that are provided in hardware. Um, because the other really important bit here is like, how do we provide all this functionality for our customers yet at the same time, like maintain that user privacy, right? Um, we, we don't want to collect information like location. Uh, we don't want to collect, you know, uniquely identifiable information. Right. Like we're very sensitive to that. Um, and so it, it, you're totally on, on, the, on the point here. So it's like, how do you provide that without uh, collecting all this information. And it's like creating this model where you have this like one app on the device that's now, you know, your gateway, if you will, for all the resources um, that you want to access for that org. And all other apps now need a way to kind of talk to this app as like a broker, if you will, it so that they can seamlessly get tokens without you having to kind of get an SMS every time or type in your password. Got it. Yeah. And I, I think... One question that came up in my mind, at least, is how do you convince then? Like, I understand if, if the company assigned me a device, right? I'm like, here, here's your device. This is your work device. But nowadays, you said it earlier, there's more people than ever with bringing their own devices, right? And how do you convince them as a company or when you're picking a solution to trust us? Like, hey, trust us, right? Like, we're... We're not, we're not going to look at your emails. We're not going to monitor your traffic. Sure. You're connected to our VPN. Like how, how, how is that trust built into the system to convince people that it's okay to actually register their devices? Yeah. So like the, the thing that separates what Okta provides here, um, or I guess like our implementation of this versus like what others have is that, uh, you know, Unlike certain like MDM types of solutions where they are able to kind of enforce certain policies or read uh, information about you on your device, Okta doesn't actually even ask for any of those permissions. So if you take like a managed device type of scenario, so if you have, you know, some sort of MDM provider on the machine, what you'd notice is you actually have to install like uh, some sort of profile on your device, um, which kind of gives it a little bit more, uh, I guess, visibility into the types of APIs they can call. So both iOS and Google have manageability layers, uh, which you can use to kind of get things like, well, actually, you can get like serial numbers of the device. Um, but you can also enforce certain policy and read uh, other things about the device. And, and so if in our case, like if we don't ask for those permissions, if we don't ask you to install a profile, um, whatever Okta is doing in order to kind of register your device and provide these like kind of seamless authentication experiences, uh, it's all within the standard app sandbox that's available, right? 
So if it's an app that's never asked for, you know, access to your contacts list, well, like Okta nor your work has access to your contact list, um, nor does it have access to your photos or anything along those lines. Um, so it kind of inherits from the same sandboxing that, you know, the host app has. Uh, so I guess from that perspective, you, you sort of get that trust. The other thing is like what Okta is providing here is very different from what a VPN is. So with a VPN, like all of your traffic goes through like a central like tunnel of, of sorts. And like typically your work or whoever will be able to kind of monitor uh, the traffic that goes through that. In our case, there's no, there's not necessarily a VPN involved. Um, Okta simply uh, brokers, um, I guess, the authentication and provides access to your resource. And then the, let's say you're trying to access Slack, right? Um, you get signed into Slack and then you're communicating with Slack directly over your own cell network or your own Wi-Fi. So it's not like you're going through like a tunnel that uh, can be seen by your work or Okta or anything along those lines. Um, so I assume as yeah. an app developer, if I was, let's say, writing a server from scratch and I wanted all these features, I assume my server would be talking to an Okta server or something at some point to validate whatever token that the phone brings back to me. Is that correct? Yeah. So, right. So your interactions with Okta would basically be, um, so we have several SDKs uh, that you can use. Um, the SDKs basically determine how you want the authentication flow to look like in your mm -hmm. app. So there's two models. One is a true drag and drop where you drop the SDK, you configure some parameters and Okta will draw the whole experience for you. Um, and we, we'd kind of guide users through authentication. And then at the end of it, we just give you the app developer a token that you can use to authenticate whatever calls you want to make, right? Mm -hmm. The second type of SDK gives you like fine grain control. So it doesn't draw any UX necessarily, um, but it gives you all the the necessary headers and the methods you need to kind of build your own experience. So if you want to use native UI instead of a web view, you can, you're fully empowered to do that. Um, think of it as like uh, two branches in the same kind of code path, because at the end of it, again, you get like a token that you can use to authenticate whatever calls you want to make. Um, so that would be your interaction as a developer, right? You choose which deployment method you want and, um, use our stack to get the token you need and then just go on yeah. and do whatever business logic you need to do. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I have to go back to onboarding just one more time because I can't get over it. Um, is, so I assume these tokens expire. I mean, uh, all tokens expire. That is the nature of the universe. Um, I, and I'm sure that's settable by policy. What are typical expiration times for like, let's go back to the airline worker, someone who's actually managing data. What is a typical time to reprove that your device is clean and that you are who you say you are? I'm just curious. Uh, so it it depends. Um, it can <laughs> it can be anywhere from like a year plus. But the thing is, like as you're actively using, um, as you're actively using that credential and you're using your device, uh, we are able to kind of extend uh, oh, in a secure fancy. way. <laughs> yeah. The re-enrollment process is a little bit, um, I, I guess it's a little bit challenging, uh, especially to, you know, more non-technical folks, right? Because it's like, oh, well, 
you know, I'm just trying to access Slack. Why are you asking me to reprove that my device is good and that I am who I say I am? It's, it's a little bit much um, and it's obtrusive to like, at, you know, your actual sign-in experience. So a lot of what we focus on is making sure that, you know, you get access to your apps as quickly and as seamlessly as possible, right? And that's not necessarily just like, you know, buzzwords I'm throwing out. Like we actively sit down and try to think through like, okay, well, to do that, we should look into how do we make these tokens long-lived without compromising security? How do we extend the lifetime? How do we kind of make sure that users get that seamless and easy access? Yeah, I'm I'm curious here on the consumer space, because I'm, I'm definitely in the consumer space and, and, and the enterprise space too, but, you know, you were talking about that there's a lot of companies, especially in the financial area, right? I think of, I use so many financial services all the time in the browser, on my phone, everything like this. Are we going to live in a world where I'm going to need to carry around a bunch of secure like <laughs> devices and chips and keys and everything to to log in? Like, is there an extreme here in which to actually be secure, we're going to need a bunch of different ways to 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 do this? Or is like, hey, listen, you're a consumer, James. Two factor authentication is just fine. You know, do it through an app. Or through your Google Voice, where there's not an you know a, you know a, a, a SIM card uh, that can be swapped, right? Um, or is it or is it like, hey, there's going to be a, a, a special segment of consumers that really want this? Like, are we seeing consumer demand, or is it like people want it easy, right? I think that's what you're you're, you're saying. You said it right there, which is like, if it's too hard, people aren't going to want to do it, right? Like, that's the reason I don't work out as much because it's hard. And like, I know I should, like, I know I should care about security. I know I should totally do a bunch of crunches every night, but I don't, <laughs> right? I definitely care about security, but like, it's because there's like this additional layer to it. Like, you know, how do we, how do you balance that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would personally, I would really not like uh, to have to carry around a bunch of uh, security devices uh, just you. to be able to, <laughs> kind of authenticate to the different services. Um, I mean, honestly, even using a password manager today for certain services gets to be a bit much, uh, just managing all of that. Even the fact that a lot of it's managed through a password manager, uh, having to deal with that sometimes is a bit much. Um, so like our general philosophy here is that your, your phone is actually very powerful. Um, and it's, it's pretty great. Uh, it has a way for you to provide biometrics and it has like pretty top tier um, security hardware already built into it. And if you think about it, your phone is probably the one device in your life that, that kind of knows the most about you. And like, it's something that you own that you've kind of put a lot of your information into um, and it, it should be able to be used to, to kind of securely identify you and verify who you are. Right. So in our kind of vision, uh, if you if you look ahead, your your phone is that one security device that you'll ever need. Um, so you you don't necessarily need to have multiple. Your your phone by itself should be good enough, and the experiences should be good enough. Where let's say you walk up to your um, you know your desktop or your laptop, and you have your phone with you, you should be able to just open your phone, provide your biometric, and you should be able to sign in. Um, because from a security standpoint, that's that is actually strong two-factor authentication. Um, and as long as the bootstrapping mechanism is sound and you have the right crypto in place and you can ensure that the device itself can be trusted, um, 
that actually meets all of the security guidelines that we have today. Uh, if you look at any of the security standards we have, like NIST or whatever, um, that, that meets it, right? And so instead of carrying around a bunch of devices, like we want that one device to be your phone. Um, and it's not just using your phone to authenticate into like a Nest device, your laptop, your desktop, like whatever. Um, we want like even within your phone, um, you know, if you're signed into your banking app in the mobile in the mobile banking app, if you open Safari and you try to sign into your bank, you should be silently signed in. It should be able to recognize that you're on the same device and that it's trusted. You should be able to be signed in with just providing your biometric, right? So that's that's the kind of world we want to uh, go towards. I want to live in that world. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not the added complexity like I'm thinking about. That might be the one-time registration system to get you in, the codes, everything like that. But then once you're in, the idea is more seamlessly. And I mean, we've all set up you know, iOS and Android devices a bunch, and you go through this setting and that setting. And you know, part of it is signing into your account. And that part of just, hey, I signed into my account once could be the, the thing. Now, let me ask you one other question, too, which is, you know, what happens when you lose your phone or you drop your phone, it's made out of glass, so everything shatters. Like, you know, is there a way cause to get to get back? Is it just that once I get a new device, how do I talk about the old device and do this other thing? And a case in point example is, you know, um, I had uh, my, my partner, she, she her phone slipped out and, and fell and it, it didn't shatter, but we took it to the Apple store and they're like, yeah, just get a new one. We're like, okay, we'll just get a new one. And we backed up everything to the iCloud and did all this stuff. And the one thing we forgot about was one of her, you know, off apps, you know, where it generates the codes nonstop. And man, that was just the biggest pain, which is <laughs> everything is good until you no longer have that device, right? Like that device is gone. Apple has that device. They've wiped it from the planet. Now, how do you verify yourself to PayPal or to your bank? You know, which we all know none of us backed up our recovery codes. Let's just be honest about it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, how, how does that interact in this in this space, too? Like, it's good once we're in. But what happens when, you know, it, it all all it all goes to hell, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's two pieces to this that the team's kind of thinking through. Um, there's one aspect where it's like, hey, what happens if you lose your device? It could be that you broke it or, you know, in a more nefarious case, someone's uh, maybe uh, taken it from your possession. I'll put it that way. Absconded. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in that latter case, what we're able to do is immediately revoke all the tokens that are used to kind of sign uh, on the server side. Um, and so as soon as you recognize that the device is no longer in your possession or in the wrong hands, you'll be able to kind of make the tokens on the device immediately useless. Uh, so they wouldn't be able to authenticate into anything anymore. Um, the second piece is around like, how do you then bootstrap a new device to now be recognized as your new, you know, your new device? Um, and the team right now is kind of thinking through like how do we provide like a secure backup and restore mechanism? Mm. Um, I think for the time being, uh, we're still in a model where you will have to at least go through, at minimum, you have to go through the re-enrollment process uh, on that new phone. Um, but we're trying to get to a point where that's all you'll have to do. So it's not necessarily that you have to now go and... Um, 
you know, re-register your new device across like all of the different apps and services that you use. It's just the one time I got a new phone, I just have to prove that this device is indeed mine um, once. And then once you do that, everything else now just continues working the same way. Got it. Got it. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, I think that the the system of reproving yourself sometimes can be the difficulty part, but that's literally what happens when you get a new device or go through different things. That makes sense. I think we're already feeling that with two-factor authentication. It's why I keep two-factor on a couple different phones because I was in this awkward situation where I lost the phone where the two-factor went to and Apple was very angry with me and I (laughs) had to get on the phone with them and work it all out because the security implications said I could be cheating and all that stuff. But no, it was just a mistake. Um, so I think we're already kind of dealing with that. And from everything Tenvir has described, I don't know. It sounds fine to me. <laughs> I kind of want, I, it's funny because I, I opened by saying none of this is possible, or at least I was always told this stuff is impossible. And now I'm just realizing, oh, that was bad advice. <laughs> um, this is totally possible as long as you have these revocation policies and you don't make it too painful for people when they lose it. Yeah, it's not like there's a, there's companies out there that are thinking through this product. So like if I'm if I'm out there developer, I could roll my own on everything, but there are a lot of best practices and industry standards and things that are emerging. It sounds like more than anything, what you're sort of saying is that a lot of this stuff is, you know, has it's not like it's been around for 20 years or maybe some of the concepts have, but there's a lot of new things, new APIs opening up and new services available for developers to take advantage of that. Um, before we get out of here, I guess the one thing I would ask you and kind of a wrap up and close segment here is, you know, if I'm a developer, whether I'm in the enterprise or I'm in the consumer space, or I'm just an indie developer making apps that do circuit simulation, who, who, who knows, um, what is like the one thing that you would want to like install or that, that you could tell that developer to think about when it comes to security all up? Wow. That's, that's tough. Only one thing. Oh, sure. I mean, you can ramble a few the things most if you desire. Thing. No. The, most, the most important thing. <laughs> Top 10. Thing. We'll make it even harder. <laughs> I guess like coming from coming from Okta and like the types of problems that we kind of look at, um, I guess the most important piece of advice I would give is that authentication is hard uh, and it's probably harder uh, than you would initially expect. Um, there's a lot that goes into really proving identity, uh, both for users. And now we are, we strongly believe that understanding device identity is also very critical in a lot of different applications and use cases. Um, and so to do that right, I would highly encourage you to kind of leverage the work of not necessarily uh, Okta, although I will say like Okta and Auth0 services are pretty industry leading, um, but, to leverage some of these like great services that are available because you you get to leverage a lot of like the security um you know the the kind of security and like the thinking that we've kind of already put into the authentication space and you get to kind of focus more on the actual you know whatever service it is you're trying to build right um you get to have an app that is able to securely authenticate you're you know way less likely to be Kind of hacked from an identity standpoint, um, and and yeah, you in most cases you'll be able to kind of keep the same look and feel, the branding, everything you'd like to have in your application anyway. Um, 
So that, that would be my, I guess, biggest piece of advice from a security standpoint. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that is coming back to to Frank and I not being security experts. And, right. and well, I mean, you're professional, Frank. You're professional. Uh, I, but I think I mean, he just said we shouldn't have invented our GUID-based non-user identity system. <laughs> Tanvir, we will send you the episode in which we talk about our GUID-based security system that's open source, which is nice and secure. Please don't make fun of us. Um, it's, it's, okay, here's, here's how it works, Tanvir. Ready for this? Okay. Stop so it, when, stop it. <laughs> when, when a user opens my app, um, I automatically generate uh, some GUIDs, and I, I put that in the keychain. So put it in right right in the keychain and secure storage on Android. Now, the the beautiful part about this user system is that as soon as they make a web API call, I, you know, encrypt that key and I send that as a bearer token into my backend. And both the public and the and the private. And I and I store that information inside of my database, right? And I use that bearer token that that user has whenever they make a web request. And if there's a friend, let's say you're on, you know, you want to make a friend request, you just give your friend your public key. So I can always look up people via their public key. And whenever I need to grab data for that user, we just make sure that that bearer token has the private key that's encrypted and the server and the app know how to like encrypt and decrypt accordingly. So it's just this very simple thing. And that's it. That's the user system. <laughs> <laughs> How far back were you rolling your eyes during all that? Um, what I'll say is it's it's better than what I've heard other people implement. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Security expert. That's what I like to say. Um, Tanvir, thank you so much for joining us on this Merge Conflict and talking through not only just things that are happening in the industry, because honestly, when we, we came in, we... Frank and I were just saying we were talking about OAuth and HTTPS for an hour, and I'm really happy where this went because it has me thinking about security in a whole different way. Um, where, do, where do you want people to go to find you or the products that you're working on? You can make your, your plugs now, if you will. Yeah, so uh, we'll be talking a lot about what we're offering from Okta on Developer Day that's coming up. Uh, for me, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I guess that's the best way to find me. Um, but yeah, uh, feel free to kind of check out what we're building on developer day. Awesome. Well, I will put links to not only your LinkedIn, but also to developer day, which is a free event happening and people can rewatch everything too. If they miss it, if they're listening to this podcast afterwards, Tanvir, thank you so much for, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this week's merge conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.